Welcome to my chat with Mira Taylor from Moon and Rune Wellness, and welcome back to Local Listens, people. And before we start, I just want to quickly share with you guys, I am now offering my services for video editing. So if you are a podcaster or a business owner or have some kind of brand, or you just want to make a cool reel or TikTok, hit me up, please. I'd be happy to help you. And you can find all of my current work on Instagram at Listens. But now back to the episode. Hey, Mira, welcome back. Happy 2023. Yeah, same to you, Jake. Very, uh, very happy to be back on Local Listens and have the opportunity to speak to your audience again. It's Thank fantastic. Yeah, it's great to see you again. And it's cool that you were the first guest ever back in 2022. And now first guest ever for 2023. So that's a cool full circle <laughs> moment. And uh, for people who may not be familiar, can you just let everyone know about your website? What's been going on with you? Share with us. So uh, hi, everyone. If you don't know me, I'm Mira Taylor. I'm an integrative therapist who focuses on uh, concepts of mental wellness that really bring back the concepts of psyche and psychology. Uh, so for those of you who don't know, the word psyche as a root word uh, or, or as its more original meaning actually means spirit or soul uh, essence. And so I really focus on bringing a practical sensibility back into uh, the, the mental wellness that I provide for folks through my guided wellness sessions. And a lot of what we approach with that or some of the things we spoke about last time uh, we did a show together, which are things that have to do with sort of archetypal awareness or motifs and themes as far as psychology goes, as well as, you know, just sort of building that intuitive or personal rapport with yourself again and bringing back forms of ritual and spirituality into one's life. Uh, that provide for like a really sustainable sense of wellness. So, you know, my goal with a lot of my clients and a lot of the information that I share is to make it feel practical and approachable, something that you can continue to bring into your daily life that doesn't, you know, feel like you got to be kind of making that super duper extra effort um, or going outside of yourself to really provide yourself that nourishment. And of course, with the goal that at some point, many of my clients feel like they can provide a lot of the tools uh, and, and sort of modalities that we talk about in session as something that they are, are working with on a daily basis for themselves. So I basically teach or guide with the intention of providing that uh, sort of space of wisdom and guidance from a more wholly centered and, and wholly realized place for my clients. Lovely, lovely. And for those of you who are curious, our, uh, our first ever chat, which is episode number one, uh, Mira and I went through an initial consultation and it was really cool to think about the linguistic structure of my beliefs and to be guided through this process of looking at language, looking at patterns and habits in a brand new way. So I appreciate what you've been doing and I'm really excited to uh, hear what you, what else has been going on and how you've been learning and building more. And I, I want to start with a question about Gnosticism. Okay. So you have... Uh, the the word gnostic wellness or the phrase gnostic wellness in your brand right that's uh, sure i that i right. don't anymore actually don't anymore okay i'm so, glad i asked uh th that's okay i'm actually happy to talk on it which is mm. that basically i i removed it because there were a lot of people who were misinterpreting um what gnosticism is uh, or at least from my roots, uh, understanding and connection to it, as far as, you know, what I believe the Nostra tradition is and what it really spoke to. 
And that basically the root of that or the concept of Gnosticism, which got really complicated over time. And there were all sorts of people who built their own, uh, you know, creation stories and, and sort of their own version of things. But that the point of Gnosticism was that to seek for God is to seek uh, for wisdom and guidance from within yourself. That the human mind, the psyche, the imagination, the creative will and power of force of consciousness that resides inside of us that we can really become more wholly realized with, more self-actualized with, is what I understood, uh, you know, at, as Gnosticism. So I still, you know, speak to it, and I still believe in what I understood as the more root tenets or wisdoms of it. Um, but I ended up taking it out because there were a lot of people that basically, you know, would look up Gnosticism and and see what some of the other Gnostics had believed right. for themselves, you know. Not dissimilar to uh, many scriptural texts, uh, Bible and Quran included, right? That there are places that there were decisions made about whose story was true or or what was and what wasn't. Um, you know, and the reality is that Gnosticism really also is intended just to promote a sense of self-philosophy mm -hmm. uh, and, and have a focus on the concept or the focus uh, of your spirituality being that you're kind of centering it around uh, the wisdom tradition uh, and the concepts of mysticism that had everything to do with inner revelation and inner truth and, and finding God within yourself, basically. Um, so there are still some sort of root truths that exist across many of the stories, which is that the exterior world is, you know, illusionary, right? And so I'm always careful with that one too, because there are loads of people who hear the word illusionary and immediately uh, have like a dissonance toward it or immediately assign a value or, or attribute a sense of like malevolence to that. Like and a prison, so that's why most say, people confuse it with, right? Well, the thing I would say with that is that you reap what you sow from, from such wisdom in the sense that if you hear that the outside world is an illusion and you have an internal belief system that only uh, sees the spectrum of reality as that word meaning something malevolent, that has deeper truths for you to understand about yourself and your inner psyche, as opposed to it being an exterior truth that is like consensus truth uh, for all. So I like the illusion. I like the magic show. I'm very happy to be at it. You know, lots of us, uh, you know, at this point, know even from the scientific model that reality is, is an illusion, right? Uh, it's, it's light and sound waves and, and frequency patterns vibrating at, at, at certain rates, certain speeds within a certain electromagnetic field. And that's what creates matter and form, blah, blah, blah. Um, there's a really wonderful book that I've read actually called You're Imagining Things. It's like a very short read. If anyone um, wants to enjoy something that's like a smaller read, if you've got uh, you know resolutions on your list, start reading more this year, that's a good one. Uh, but it ba basically speaks to that. So, you know, yes, Everything is an illusion. Gnosticism does hold tenets and truths to that across almost all of its cosmologies and philosophies. Um, but the reality is that it's, you know, for me, it's just something that helps me realize that inner truth uh, and inner wisdom and, and, you know, those things that speak from a place that resides inside of us are where our relationship with God is intended to be and where we're intended to cultivate and grow and develop uh, that relationship further in every lifetime. Well said, Mira. And it's really funny. You brought up so many things that I was planning to ask you about, including like the the idea that Gnosticism is misinterpreted very often. And I'm 
it's just funny how the the synchronicities have uh, lined up. And one in particular is, you know, I've got a, a little notebook here and I wrote down on the very top of this page, hermetic wisdom. And what you brought up was, uh, you know, all is mental. It's all in your head, quote unquote, but like, you know, in a benevolent way from our point of view, I, I could say, or from my point of view, it's, I, I share your belief, this quote unquote illusion is wonderful. But I, I, I definitely wanted to, to ask you about that path to a relationship with God through yourself. And there's a great quote that I always think about. I believe it's the gospel of Thomas. And I just wanted to hear your uh, reaction to it, your thoughts on it. You've probably heard this before. It's um, a time when Christ had said that if you bring out what is within you, then it, it'll save you. And if you don't bring out within, yeah, if you don't bring out what is within you, it'll it destroy, you, destroy you. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know what? It's a wisdom that was born to me very early on in my awakening process. And again, that becomes one of those, you reap what you sow from those statement moments, right? So it's everything to do with like kind of how we over time can learn even new interpretations of something like that. But yes, I believe that it has everything to do with the fact that you either are self-actualizing or, you know, returning to source, right? So not, and it's not to place a judgment in either direction. Uh, all things expand and contract as a part of uh, how reality works, right? Spiritual uh, aspects most assuredly included, included because spirit as consciousness is the root of all being. Um, so it really is just about, you know, all of these individual forms and expressions that God has created, right? And, and when, we say, when we say God, it's like, you know, spirit, creator, consciousness, insert uh you know mystical being yes nameless whatever whatever it is to you right mm -hmm. and so the reality for most people is that they spend a whole lot of time putting up sort of limitations on their relationship with god based on what the exterior world tells them or dictates to them in a more overly literalized sense. Mm -hmm. um, so one of the very interesting revelations I've had recently was that whole concept that many of the scriptural texts are referred to as, you know, the gospel of Thomas included, the literal word of God. Mm -hmm. But no one said that that meant that we have to take those words literally, mm -hmm. right? So this is one of those misinterpretations that happen too, is like, okay, yes, it is literally the word of God. The word I speak is literally the word of God. The word right you on. speak is literally the word of God. The word that's written in Alice in Wonderland is literally the word of God. Mm. Does not mean that we have to take it literally. And so this was one of the things I always really appreciated about actually um, the Kabbalistic understandings of text, which mm. have a lot to do with interpretation of textual information from the standpoint of things like Gematria, but that uh, Kabbalah actually is a word that means secret or hidden hmm. and so it's it's really about understanding that many of these texts have truths for you that are not so literal that are intuitive that are intended for you to have a moment where you're having a subtle awareness of what god is to you in that present moment by your experience of the text in the present moment as opposed hmm. to what did this person 
mean by it in their present moment and like you know whatever year ad right is that a good example of when people say the the map is not the territory in that case that yeah uh you know and it's that whole concept of the forest for the trees right right so it's all about you know and i work with all sorts of books in this way and i think we kind of talked we may have talked about this the last time i was on it's a concept that from a um from a more orthodox concept is referred to as, as bibliomancy or divining revelation from text, mm. uh, usually from, from scripture, but you can realistically do it from anything, right? So actually one of the ones that I uh, do it from all the time is Alice in Wonderland. I got a nice. really interesting uh, revelation from 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea mm. uh, like two weeks ago, which had something to do with the trajectory of human consciousness uh, into the new year uh, and, and like that something big is going to happen around January 10th to like really catalyst that or, or, or push us, uh, push us sort of more quickly in, in that direction mm. of evolution of consciousness. So be on the lookout. But I think let me just of- say, folks, it's uh, January 6th, 2022. So, you know, I'd be interested, you know, n- not to place weight on a per on a specific prediction, but just to let people know for for context, it's Friday. January 6, 2022. It's a full moon in Cancer right now, I believe. It's exciting. Sorry. Didn't mean to cut you off, but I had to say that. <laughs> oh no, you know what? I'm happy for the the moon to be full in the mother archetype. Uh oh, yeah. and actually for those of you as I am uh, I'm studying Islam and the Quran pretty pretty heavily right now along with Sufism and, and just the Arabic language in general as a part of my divinity school courses. So for those of you who don't know, a fun new word for everyone uh, is the word better which means full moon in Arabic. It mm. also happens to be the name of um, Sinbad from A Thousand and One um, Nights. It, uh, it's his okay. father. So nice. just a, just some fun uh, fun stuff to throw out there. But I, I'm happy for the, the full wisdom of the maternal uh, in the full moon to be shared on this podcast. Yes, yes. Hate. And there's... I, I think about archetypes and ar- ar- archetypal cor- correlations. Yeah, I mean, for archetypes, I have uh, a question I've been dying to ask you all day. Um, now, I guess I'm living to, to ask you if I flip that around. <laughs> when we think about, okay, I think I said January 6th, 2023, and January 6th, 2021 was a much different date. And I want to ask you about the rebel archetype. And in your view, whether it's through pop culture or whether it's through your own experiences uh, out in the wild and feeling in yourself the whole spectrum of archetypes, how do you relate to the rebel or do you have a particular reaction um, to the rebel in your own life? Uh, So for me, oftentimes my most rebellious acts are to do with my choice to trust my heart as the voice of God through me, as opposed to what others tell me mm-hmm. is the voice or understanding of God. Um, that that is how how my rebel exists and breathes. Uh, but it's also how I hold authority over myself. So for me, those two archetypes have been married, and that is as it's intended to be. Uh, but from sort of that concept of like uh, from the marketing perspective and, and the rebel archetype and, you know, everything that's got to do with uh, sort of the concept of participation mystique and how mm. we're programmed to have an interest in 
images and symbols that were taught are symbols of rebellion or, or what it means to be a rebel, right? The irony is that for most people who live in the rebel archetype, they don't act, their, their true nature is actually not that rebellious. <laughs> it's just that they sort of abide by uh, the, the given programmatic structure that is, I'm a rebel, right? So for hmm. me, and I used to live this, right? Like full truth, I used to live this. And I've sort of joked about this on another podcast that, you know, I would see a sugar skull on on something and like the participant, the participation mystique was like, that's me. I must have it. Right. <laughs> so, you know, and, and man, oh man, I spent a lot of money that I shouldn't have because of that. <laughs> it's <laughs> and, an expensive and, archetype, right? <laughs> well, you know what it is. And, and most of them are, but I would say that's mm. the one that's kind of the most popular right now. Mm. And I think there is something to be said for basically that being a, a sort of fractility or pattern of behavior through humanity, mm. uh, through the centuries and through time, right? So there's kind of this understanding from folks who see that more macro view of how timelines and the fractal nature of behavior as humanity works, that kind of see that rolling around the bend, right? And go, okay, we're gonna up the uh, we're gonna up the rebel archetype uh, mm. so that people feel that sort of like participation mystique to want to buy things right and so you'll see this in movies you'll see this um on television all the time but you'll also just start to see it in like what the basic like home decor style is mm. or what the fashion style is right um and again it's not to say that there's anything wrong with it but you know for me i also like to play rebel in assigning an understanding of rebel to people who a lot of folks wouldn't necessarily have a inherent desire uh, or, or sort of want to place it upon. So Christ is actually an excellent example of a rebel. Absolutely. Right. Uh, Martin Luther King, excellent example of a rebel. Uh, actually, the Dalai Lama and <laughs> a lot of the Buddhist traditions are excellent examples of rebellion you know you think about the act in tiananmen square which of course was awful right uh but that there is that sort of state of rebellion that is rooted in an understanding of self-authority and god as residing within and that anything that trust is it's really trying to be authoritative or like dictatorial over others and their free will uh is where the authority and the rebel can meet within each of us mm -hmm. to stand against it, uh, that that is like our, our most fully realized self. So I really like looking at things actually and seeing like, okay, well, this has the rebel archetype in it, but how is it actually trying to be dictatorial and authoritative? Because mm. that's not unusual either, right? Like that's the thing that a lot of rebels don't want to admit either is that for you to go out with a megaphone and scream in someone's face <laughs> that they gotta believe in what, sh in, in what you believe in, you know, is no different and no better than the authoritarian who does it through the bureaucratic model, um, you know, through politics or 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 spirituality. Right. Mm. It's just that you you know, it's the same essence in, in different clothing. Right. Uh, so that's always a good exercise for folks. And I invite a lot of folks to kind of think about a lot of those archetypes that that have an opposite and ask themselves how they could see that. Uh, in, in both, right? So the other way that a lot of people can do this is if you have someone that you view as a hero, how can you, and, and there's like a villain or a bad guy that is their constant opposition, 
how can you make the intentional mindful time to try and have, you know, a different view, right? Like how, how can you kind of flip flop it around to see how that other person uh, that's labeled as the villain might not be the villain uh, and how the hero might feel like the villain to, you know, to the other side, basically. Um, but these are all really excellent uh, exercises that are just intended to like kind of open up the mind and help people see the the more full spectrum of reality that isn't so stuck in that dualistic model. And in doing so, it really helps deconstruct the duality mindset that for a lot of people is the thing that's creating massive shadows mm. in them or creating massive ego blindnesses that are that are blocking their ability to grow and develop, uh, you know, a, as their own self-actualized self in this lifetime. It's not a ghost, I promise. Well, <laughs> here, not, not that kind of ghost. Dog's very um, cute. But, you know, so that that's where I work with the rebel archetype a lot. Right. Is it something that you have kind of had a more, uh, you know, personal experience of? Or is it something you've been kind of like, you know, mindfully playing with for yourself recently? I've been thinking about it. So uh, I teach high schoolers. And uh, at oh the man, time, so much of that dichotomy. There yeah, that. right, right. <laughs> And while you were speaking, I was thinking of this image of like a moral landscape and in uh, certain ways, you know, you could create a dualistic system that only sees good and evil. And that's a two dimensional reality, right? You don't want to live in a 2D reality. If anything, like the more dimensions, the more rich and exciting life is. So I think it's cool that we receive these stories and we create them ourselves where the villain will will have some kind of backstory and they i it might be dangerous to justify the villain's actions but it is something very human and very special to feel what someone else feels and i was thinking recently about uh i know it's controversial but the rings of of power on amazon prime that lord of the rings spin off and how this is showing a scenario where the orcs of mordor are coming and obviously there's going to be a rebellion and the heroes are going to fight back but there's also the humans who are not willing to fight who are being recruited by this dark entity to work for the evil side and that's always fascinating to me that like humanity uh pitted against something subhuman like orcs or something that's dehumanized um is always uh within the sphere of influence so it's interesting to to think about that. And I kind of wanted to talk to you about this, this word evil and how through different ideas like cognitive remodeling or neuroplasticity, how might you look at um, the word Satan or adversary or work with that concept in your own uh, philosophy? So uh, one of the wisdoms that I, I will definitely share is uh, kind of an older concept that evil rests in the eye of the beholder right and so this speaks to kind of that concept of the of the more root understanding of christ and and of gnosticism uh that what you see out here has everything to do with what's interior to you mm -hmm. so if you are seeing evil in the world it has something to say about your own psyche and the things that you seem to have a desire for whether it's a healthy desire or not, right? And, and so this becomes the work of whether or not someone's willing to accept that truth, but to, to see 
like it, it's sort of like if you have a desire to seek it out, answering the question, why do I have a desire to seek it out? If I truly want peace and I truly want to exist in a world that to me on a personal level is without those things, right? It's my work to do to stop trying to seek it out. Mm -hmm. it, it's no different than, you know, it, there's kind of like a um, sort of like a, a heroism archetype that mm. exists that basically needs a bad guy or wants a bad guy that that that's the deeper unfortunate truth is that the heroism identity kind of creates a deeper subconscious desire for that to exist in the world so that it can feel a sense of purpose and feel a sense of worth but from uh, the concepts of like linguistic therapy and, and sort of belief system restructuring, uh, I am a massive nerd when it comes to understanding Excellent. the root understandings. Yeah. Well, you know what? It stands for no one ever really dies for a reason. So I'm happy to be a nerd. And <laughs> um, infinity forever, right? Eternium forever. Uh, but, you know, the reality is that for most people, they don't understand where that word originally came from. So the word Satan is actually a word that was started in Greco-Roman politics uh, and, and just philosophical debate, right? So, but basically there were uh, meeting places and, and a lot of people have seen these in movies or in shows or, you know, somewhere along the way in their understanding of history, they, there were these meeting rooms where, where um, people of influence would get together and debate their philosophies, whether they were political or spiritual, and that anyone who opposed you on your view was referred to as your Satan, mm. right? So the concept of Satan as a more root structure understanding or sort of emanatory embodiment that is removed from those more complex narratives that the human ego structure, ha structure has placed on it is just purely opposition itself. Um, and I was working with this concept the other day. So let's, uh, the interesting thing about this is that if you were to look at molecular structure, right? So from that sort of hermetic principle of as above, so below, let's look at the most root uh, space of creation, which would be molecular structure. Where do you find opposition always in molecular structure? between an electron and a proton, right? Mm. But it is actually that tension that exists between the two of them that creates covalent bonds over time. Mm. The more resistance there is to begin with, the more tension there is between two molecules, the stronger the bond is once they actually bond, right? Wow. Now, of course, the irony being that molecules never actually truly bond. Uh, there's something to be said for that in, in you know, you're imagining things book, which basically talks about the fact that nothing ever really touches, mm -hmm. right? Like I'm not actually really touching this book. There's a vibrational uh, tension that's occurring between myself and the material and da, 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 et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. We won't go in too deeply into uh, bi the biology of that, but that basically for me, this is the work that I did to really deconstruct away from that sort of um, persona overly personified construct of the emanatory expression that was supposed to be understood as you know satan so the reality is that if you see if you are someone who sees opposition in a way that makes you want to destroy it 
Satan is living inside of your psyche as the one who is seeing opposition that way. Mm. Right? Yeah, it sounds so like a, a possession of some kind of uh, like it's a inner Hegelian dialect. Like you're creating the the problem for yourself. You're immediately reacting, usually not rationally. And then the solution is to destroy. It's like, why would you do that to yourself? <laughs> right. So, you know, it's and uh, I don't remember if we said it in the first in the first um, podcast, but, you know, one of my favorite Carl Jung quotes is that anything that irritates us uh, or that causes tension or resistance between us and another has something to teach us about ourselves. One of my favorite quotes. So, you know, if you feel that someone is acting as a Satan to you in an exterior way, it's up to you to go, okay, nope, that's in me. How can I see myself in this in a mm. way that can teach me? Yes. Right. Yes. Uh, so one of the more interesting things, too, about um, kind of root languages and studying language across many languages. Uh, you know, so for me, it's been fascinating to know that the word sin in Spanish means without. Mm hmm. Right. Con and, and sin. That, what's that? Uh, con is with and sin is, is without. Yeah. Right. Now, in English, those are two words that if you look at them, have pretty uh, unhealthy connotations to them. Right. Absolutely. Or sort of more malevolent connotations to them. So it's it's really, you know, I urge people to sort of open their eyes to other cultures and, and other forms of spirituality and other languages, because it'll really help open your mind in that regard. One of the things that's been most fascinating to me uh, as I was studying Sanskrit and a lot of the, you know, sort of the root understandings of Buddhism is that in Sanskrit, the word Devi, which is D-E-V-I, one letter short of another word that, uh, <laughs> right, right. Get into that because actually from a biblical connotation, the devil and Satan are not the same entity. And mm. a lot of people don't understand that either. Um, but regardless, you know, so in Sanskrit, the word Devi, again, just one letter short of devil, is a word that means goddess. Right. Okay? And even in uh, Latin root word, the word sin is a word that originally was the name for the deity or the emanation of the moon. And even in Christian uh, and more orthodox understanding, the moon is something that's associated with wisdom and revelation. Uh, and, and basically everything to do with sort of, uh, you know, Sophia, uh, as far as like sort of that revelationary concept of God and, and where wisdom comes from or, or what it's symbolized by. Um, and so another interesting thing about that is that one of the other words that means moon is amen or a moon. Mm. And every, uh, every form of Christianity that prays. What does it end prayer with? Right Amen. to the moon, right to the lunar system. Yes. So, you know, there's just been a lot of sort of misinterpretation through language and scripture over time and across spiritualities, which again becomes the space of like invitation for reinterpretation in the present moment. That for those people, that interpretation was their Satan, right? Because they saw Satan in that word, or they saw something malevolent in that word. I don't, and this goes back to my understanding of, you know, the concepts of Gnosticism. I don't have to choose to believe in that interpretation, especially if it places malevolence in something. 
Right. And I, I can give I you an example here. I wish to live in a world that, with, that is without malevolence, then it is actually God's work through me, as me, and my heart's desire to want to reinterpret and evolve away from things that uh, describe or define something as malevolent in nature. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's kind of funny. There's uh, an example that uh, definitely applies to this concept of the origins of Satan. And it's that if someone disagrees with you, you could just call them a literal Nazi or or you could put in the effort to understand their point of view and to kind of relate. Because the interesting thing about saying uh, so like sin is without in Spanish and con is with and it would remind me of compassion or compasión and with passion, with with shared understanding, shared empathy, if you want to call it that um, is really what. If there is this Hegelian dialect overruling over the the cultural conversation or a spiritual uh, crisis that one might be suffering, that it's easier or perhaps um, maybe more effective to approach it with compassion. Like in, in this regard, would you feel that if someone were to explore um, their shadow in the Jungian sense, um, I, I've heard different ideas about you can never really destroy your quote unquote dark side, but you can tame it, which is kind of strange to think of it in an animalistic way or to become oh, no. friends with it. Like how would you un yeah, don't, unpack don't all that? that? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so again, this becomes that space of like, why is it that darkness is automatically like, that's the belief system to deconstruct away from. Mm. That's the work to do in the mind is not to, like go into the darkness thinking you're gonna like face bad guys right you're gonna face some things that you don't really enjoy and that you know and truth be told there are some things that are intended to be done away with mm. right like if you looked at your mind as sort of a tree okay if there's a limb on a tree that's making that's going to make the rest of the tree sick is that something that we like have to sit there and be like no i love you it's okay Mm. no you cut that shit off right right okay you save the rest of the tree <laughs> but that that will decompose and return to source right yes, exactly. it, 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 and decomposition is a whole nother part of the process that's sort of a fascination but mm. you know to look at the concept of the darkness of the mind as something that is actually more like the maternal to redefine it to understand it uh and this is actually something from from the concepts of mysticism in the orthodox traditions that was unfortunately sort of lost over time. Mm. And that is that more maternalistic nature or understanding of, you know, Mary and, and the maternal and things right. like the womb, uh, you know, that, that, that darkness is what provides a space for you to find the inner light. Mm. Because if you're surrounded by light, sometimes it's hard to see your own. Mm -hmm. And that that darkness is intended to be the space which you preside in that lets you see where your light really is that lets you truly understand or uh, understand your own light and understand your own knowledge and your own wisdom and self actualize and self develop it. But again, you know, asking oneself, okay, why do I immediately have some sort of like connotation to this meaning being, you know, bad or, or something that's going to be difficult or, or malevolent or evil or whatever, you know, redefine darkness mm. for yourself. I think everyone was pretty happy in the darkness of their mother's womb, right? Uh, a lot of people really enjoy the, the grandeur and beauty of the darkness of night. You know, for a lot of folks, when they're feeling stressed out or like can't deal with reality, what do they do? They'll like go hide under a blanket or like mm -hmm. put their hood on and close it and like 
shut the and, and like shut the world out basically right so yeah. it's about redefining it it's definitely not about taming it mm. it's about understanding it right uh so this is something that i kind of learned having been someone that's worked with a lot of animals in my life which is that the best relationships and most um beautiful relationships that I've ever had with animals are not the ones where I attempted to tame them. Mm -hmm. Lord knows I don't want to be tamed. Right. You want <laughs> right. To, exactly. Exactly. If you don't want to be tamed, don't dictate and, and tame another. Mm -hmm. But you go into that part of your mind. It's sort of about getting in tune with the wildness as the as the wildness that is that more mysterious and wild nature of God that's mm -hmm. inside of you. Uh and, and not letting go of that as something that you're intended to sort of be like you're truly actually meant to be in reverence of it, uh, right. to be sort of in awe of it, right? And, and so it's really about getting to that space of awareness where one, okay, how am I defining it and why? And two, you know, why am I scared to go in there? Mm. What did I place in there or what's been placed in there that I need to bring the light to so that I can create a new space of awareness around it? So it's not really about destroying things in that part of the mind, unless, you know, if you, if you get to something in there and it feels like that really thick limb on the tree, cut it off and let it decompose, right? right. All turn to source in some way or another, whether they're expanding outward, you know, expanding outward or going back down. Hmm. Uh, but as far as, you know, the concepts that Jung talked about, he actually talked about that feminine fourth aspect that was missing from uh, the more commonplace teachings of a lot of the orthodox traditions that he found present in spaces like Buddhism and, and Hinduism uh, mm. and Taoism that spoke about, you know, that, that feminine principle that is the nothing, right? So again, we go back to that concept of sin, right? Because what is sin? It's to be without. So the feminine principles are everything that have to do with sort of awakening that those parts of the subconscious in a way that's healthy. Uh, one of the other words that I invite a lot of people to try and redefine for themselves is I make a really decent effort to not refer to things as positive or negative. Right. Meaning, always meaning that negative is a bad thing. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because there are loads of ways in which negative is a beneficial thing mm -hmm. in one place. And actually having too much positive force can make something aggressive, right? So if you look at this and, and you kind of want to like redefine this for yourself, think about some of the belief systems that you can negate or neutralize in the part of your subconscious that would make it better for you, that would make your perspective uh, more enjoyable for you. You know, think about some of the other times in your life that you've had something neutralized or negated from your life and it's actually made your life better or mm -hmm. You know, let you have a more whole experience of yourself, right? So for a lot of people, uh, they'll look back and see the end of a relationship where maybe that relationship dynamic was really limiting them in their expression and neutralizing or negating that relationship dynamic from their life has now allowed them to expand and become, you know, more wholly free and wholly reali realized self. Yes, yes. Kind of like, you know, it's just to give linguistic examples, mm -hmm. show people, okay, have that intuitive rapport. I, and you know, and that's everything to do with the subconscious, right? Be willing to ask yourself why the pre-existing connotation is there, especially if you didn't intentionally place it there. Mm. Uh, so, you know, if there's a certain color that you look at and the thing you think of as a symbolistic gesture of it is something that 
it's just understood to you by culture or or the way you were raised or or what have you be willing to ask yourself well do i want it to symbolize that mm. you know uh for me the one that i always kind of bring up is i i would see cardinals and it would like before i made the conscious intent of redefining it to mean this which is actually a symbol that's a root symbol um it's the it's the it's alchemically it's the verdigras symbol hmm. but it's basically uh the original symbol of the cross and that is um, uh, it's a circle with four quadrants in it. Hmm. uh but that this is now what i see when i see like a bird when i see the cardinal this is what i see but before it would make me think of like a card like uh, a church cardinal the pope yeah well and and, there, and it's not to say that someone should deconstruct that if they have them for the that for themselves mm-hmm. but for me, those moments where it was like well i don't remember putting that there yeah <laughs> so i'm gonna put what i want to put there and mm-hmm. it's just it's just to give an example of like be willing to kind of question why the existing connotation is there that is what the subconscious is basically mm-hmm. It's where you hold all those sim- symbolic, irrational uh, belief systems. And I put irrational in quotes because, again, another word that all sorts of folks have sort of uh, degraded, right? Yes. The irrational part of the psyche is an incredibly important part of the, sp- of the psyche. It is the spiritual part of the psyche. It is the believing part of the mind, right? To have an imaginal experience, to have a wonderful experience that lives outside the logic of constructed consensus reality like Mm. for most to have seen a burning bush was a pretty irrational experience to have accepted Uh, most psychedelic experiences are highly irrational experiences it's an important part of the psyche to flex as a muscle and to develop so yet another one okay if you're someone who defines negative in a way where you're like i don't want negative emotions well i do but that's because i've defined negative emotions as things that are benefit to me well said. I, want, I want irrationality. Mm. Why? Because I have consciously defined my irrational mind and irrationality as an important part of my whole psyche. So it's it, again, it's just an invitation for people to think about these things and ask themselves, where is the subconscious uh, sort of definition pre-existing? Mm. Did I put it there? If not, how did it get there? And that can be generational, that can be familial, that can be um you know through through the media whatever societally and then going to that next step and saying okay what do i want to be there that's what i'm going to place there instead nice nice and it's funny that you just earlier said uh well this is a muscle that we can flex or it's something that we can train ourselves and it's cool that language offers us that opportunity to retrain our thinking and i wanted to ask you in relation to to language but also the embodiment of say our nervous system and how we relate to each other through the functioning of say like uh, neurotransmitters, hormones, et cetera. Have you ever heard of this concept of working out versus working in? And if so, um, would you like to expand on how you approach that? So uh, of course I'm going to give the paradox that you are, are always simultaneously doing both, Mm -hmm. Uh, but that I find that it's more powerful to do the, inner work as a projective force than to try and do work out here in a very effortful way Hmm. that I I would say the inner work is the more efficient way to approach uh, change and and work in one's life. 
and, and by the way, you'll actually burn a lot of calories doing work in here. Yeah, I think you know we. I eat a lot. A nice meal after okay? this. And I spend a lot this. of time using this thing as if, like, I mm-hmm. I do not have a workout regimen. I have fun. Fun right? so is like, the best. I if I feel like dancing, I dance. If I feel like going on a hike, I go on a hike. Mm-hmm. If I feel like skateboarding, I skateboard. Right? Like these are the ways that you create uh, the space for inner work as an expression outwardly in the physical world that for me, and I'm assuming you're kind of talking about working out, but I could be wrong. That could be my presumption. Uh, and you know what they say about assuming, but, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, that that's just kind of my take on it is that mm-hmm. I have found that it is far more efficient and effective and sustainable to do that, to do inner work mm-hmm. than it is to make a bunch of effort to try and change everything out out here right and especially right especially if it's in a way that you're intending to create change at a bigger level yes absolutely yeah it kind of reminds me of you know i mean we're in january so january is typically referred to as like resolution season or like the uh-huh. the month yeah. of uh broken promises but we could say like you know people who uh work out for the aesthetic appeal are missing the internal uh l- let's say another archetype like the warrior archetype or something else that is challenging you to rise above your your current state and inviting you into deeper wisdom as well. I, I think that might be missed out on um, some of the fitness culture. But I also wanted to ask you in terms of, well, emotion, because that's something that will play a role in whatever activity inner or outer you might be engaged in. And not to say that their inner and outer is blended into one, but when when people say that energy in motion is emotion um how do you respond uh well absolutely it is uh i actually did i did a whole article in brains magazine about why there should be more friendship in the workplace right because you kind of need that to have emotion or energy in motion in a workplace right like for healthy relationship dynamics to exist there has to be a healthy level of 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 that like friendly rapport and connection between mm. people that's genuine right okay but as far as that whole concept of the new year's resolutions goes i actually tell most people to do guiding principles mm. uh, instead of resolutions or as a part of resolutions so that they can understand that there's something deeper underlying that's desiring for whatever the kind of check mark resolution is, right? Yeah. So let's say it's to go work out at the gym or to change your diet. What is the desired result that you're hoping for aside from the number on the scale mm. or the number on the weight bench, okay? Or, or the number on the measuring tape. So usually it's something emotional. It's a sense of self-worth. It's that you want to feel attractive, that you want to uh, feel healthier right so instead of going for those sort of like very specific things like the workout regimen or uh you know saying that you're gonna like cold turkey change your diet tomorrow writing a sense like writing out a sense of the guiding principles that are going to make every part of your daily life more actionable toward that Right. And, and sort of like using word in a way that affirms to you that you are going, you know, instead of saying, I want to be better, or I want to be more well, I am wellness, like writing that out for yourself. 
saying it to yourself in the morning. I am wellness. I live and breathe wellness. I trust that food is medicine for me and that I use and then I have a relationship with food that is medicinal and healthy and provides wellness for me. That is actually the way in which our intuitive and subconscious mind as a more whole intelligence that, uh, you know, a lot of us from a conscious level have a difficult time understanding because we can't like grasp the mechanics of it, mm. but that it works for us in that way. Right. So, you know, it's really about getting to a space where you realize the deeper emotional construct that you're hoping to create for yourself with the aim of the resolution and using something like guiding principles to guide you toward that in a, in a simple, practical and approachable way on a daily basis. Um, so the other one that I always tell people to focus on too is instead of thinking about like specifically where you want to go this year or what accolade you want from the job or, you know, whatever achievement it is, what emotions do you want to experience more of this year? Right. So for me, I wanted to experience more of a sense of wonder. I want to experience curiosity more. I want to experience creativity more. I want to experience beauty more, whether that be beauty uh, and understanding of myself or seeing more beauty in the world. And of course, those things are correlative, right? The more beauty you are willing to see in yourself, the more you're capable of seeing beauty in the world around you. But it's making it that simple practice of, you know, even getting up in the morning and, and asking yourself from that present place of awareness uh, of moving toward a sense of balance or wholeness for yourself, what emotions do I want to feel more of today, hmm. right? Some days it's that you're going to want to feel more vital and, and, and vivacious and full of energy. Some days you're going to wake up and think, you know what? I want to feel more calm and neutral today. Mm. And so it really gets to a place of like using that as a daily mechanism to set the tone for the day. So that moving toward those resolutions, as far as what you want for yourself on a regular basis, become like attainable and approachable instead of some unkind self-standard that you feel like a failure for after, you know, three weeks, basically. It's really interesting. Uh, when you were explaining, you know, this approach that you can explain to yourself or affirm to yourself um, how you want to feel and have that be the, the, the guiding principle. Like, for example, um, if I were to say that the elements played a role in the way that I would structure how I go throughout every day. Like I could say just as one model that, oh, today I feel a bit more fiery. So I'm going to do X, you know, it's kind of like this Ayurvedic model, or I know this is popular in Chinese medicine as well, that we can associate the elements with how we pattern our behavior and how we approach uh, certain st stimuli or foods and things like that. Um, and I wanted to ask you, sort of as a means of a closing question. And uh, I just want to say that this hour has been wonderful. I feel like I've been in a cool flow state listening to you. And I want to ask you as uh, a means of bringing this full circle, because we were talking about this before we hit record. And I just want to ask uh, in your opinion or, you know, from your perspective, uh, <laughs> what do you love so much about Alice and Wonderland? Uh -huh. Well, I'll speak from the wisdom of my heart, which is that it's full of wonderful wisdoms. Yes. <laughs> um, and, and that, you know, the thing that I love about Alice in Wonderland from, from a, we'll take it from the realistic perspective, which is that I actually, I have a personal belief that Lewis Carroll, while he was 
high on psychedelics, <laughs> looking out his window, watching the little girl next door, who is actually who he wrote Alice in Wonderland about, mm. was having an empathic and imaginal connection to what that little girl was imagining for herself mm. while she was playing in the garden. Interesting. That state of childlike, and like really think about that, right? Because if you read Alice in Wonderland, the responses in that book, go ask a four-year-old a similar question and you will get a similar response. Exactly. Right? But there's a reason that that saying from the mouth of babes exists. Because when we are that age, we are our most neuroplastic. We are mm. our most open-minded. The, the irrational center of our brain is like wide open in this really wonderful way. That's why learning is easier for us because there's been no limitation placed on whether or not we think it's easy or difficult for us to learn. We just are, right? And, and so even that whole concept of I am that I am is sort of placed in that, in that the, for the child, the concept of I am that I am doesn't even need to be defined. It is what they are. But that Alice in Wonderland is this book that really speaks to, you know, and actually a lot of the Roald Dahl books too really oh, speak yeah, to that. Yeah, yeah. Hilda is another one. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of wonderful wisdoms in Willy Wonka, right? Like there is something to be said for the metaphor and symbology that is that is archetypally present and personified in the characters. And especially in Alice in Wonderland, that whole concept of you reap what you sow from mm -hmm. wisdom. Right. In that you can ask five people to read the same passage from Alice in Wonderland and have them like journal about what it meant to them. And I can promise you that you would get at least five different answers, if not more. Yes. Right. And that for some people, it might even give them a space of revel revelation. It might get mm -hmm. those little synapses firing again. Mm -hmm. uh, but but that is why I love those texts uh, the most. That's why I love Alice in Wonderland a lot, especially because people open it with a less serious sense. Right. Like mm. this is something that's kind of remiss with some scriptural texts is that there's this like tonality of seriousness that almost <laughs> acts like a weight. It is. Yeah, it's very, very heavy revelation from mm. those books. Whereas when you pick up a book like Alice in Wonderland, you're like, oh, I get to be a child right now. I yeah, it invites you in. It's like, come here and look. Yeah. Be, yeah. Like be, it does. It says be a child again. Right. Mm. And so I actually hope that some people will sort of remember to have that experience with scripture mm. uh, or, or with sacred text where they invite the child out of them to play with the words that are on the page and ask, what does this mean to me? As opposed to having that sort of like limiting uh, mm. tone to it that that is like so set in the in the seriousness or the, or the severity mm. of the information that you're realizing. Uh, you know, I, I can promise you that the people who are behind the concepts uh, of most wisdom traditions know that some of the wisest things in the world are said by children. Yeah, right? that's very, very true. And, and so letting that child exist in you again as a state of wonder, as an imaginal, irrational being that, you know, has imaginary friends. Yes, oh, I nice. Sorry, yeah, this yeah. is Jack. And every time I find a feather on my walks, he gets a new one in his cap. Okay. Mm. So have fun with things, right? Like the next time someone goes on a walk or goes out in nature, act like a freaking child. Play with <laughs> things. Remember what you did as a kid when you were like playing by the creek and imagining that you were talking to the crawdads and, and the minnows in, in the water. But, uh, you know, that that is basically why I love that book. Um, and that, there are a few others. Uh, there's actually 
uh, very special book that I have that I picked up at a used bookstore that was written by uh, two women in the early 1900s who were like school teachers. Mm. Uh, there, are, there are actually very few copies of it in the world, but it's really beautiful. Everything in the book, which is intended to teach third and fourth graders, I believe, around that age, right? Like, it's hard to say, because in the 1900s, you had schoolhouses that had loads of age groups. The whole community was in there, yeah. You you know, the kids that showed up could be anywhere from the age of five to the age of 10, and you kind of had to just, like, deal with that. Mm. But that book has called to me and shared really beautiful wisdoms uh, with me. And, And I know it's because the women who wrote it were trying to think of how to teach children from a children's mind. So, you know, if anyone has a favorite book that they read as a child, I, I please pick it back up again as an adult and have a new uh, experience of it that allows you those deeper wis- wisdoms or revelations as far as like, how does this correspond to me? What does this tell me about my own story, my own life in the present moment? Well said, and what a wonderfully positive note to wrap up on. And I do want to thank you once again for coming on. And it's really cool that now we've completed yet another chapter of of this story. And it's going to be amazing. As a guiding principle for myself, I could say this, Mira, my guiding principle for 2023 will be to embrace that inner child for sure. And I appreciate you for uh, inspiring that out of me. And I want to ask you one more time, can you share with with folks if they want to contact you, the services you provide, your website, all the above, and uh, once again, Happy New Year. Yeah, absolutely. To you too. So uh, thank you again for having me on. Uh, For those of you who are watching, you already know I'm Mary Taylor, but uh, I am an integrative therapist and I provide guided uh, wellness sessions to clients, uh, individual, family, uh, and couples counseling and therapy. I also provide business wellness consultation services for businesses who are interested in reintroducing uh, an acceptance of the underlying energetic and spiritual dynamics of business and what it means to be a spiritually well business. And you can find more information about me at www.moonandrune.com. You can also follow me on uh, social media on Instagram. I have a personal account at Mira Taylor Wellness. And I also have a business account at Moon and Rune Wellness, where I just share, uh, you know, things that I think will resonate with people and that for me feel succinct with whatever is sort of the collective conscious experience uh, that's happening at the time. Right on. Thank you so much, Mayor. It was good to see you again. Take care. Yeah, absolutely. You too. Happy New Year, everyone.